0: Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of First Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. My name is TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. If you have a Bible, you can find the book of 1 Peter. We've been in a series for a few months now called Living Hope. It's the term that Peter uses in uh, the book of the Bible. We know as 1 Peter, a letter to Christians scattered in what would be modern day Turkey. And so we're going to be in there in a few uh, minutes. Actually, uh, today is an anniversary of sorts for my wife and I. It's not our marriage anniversary. Um, It's our church anniversary. This weekend, five years ago, Bluff First had been without a lead pastor for about eight months, and uh, the youth pastor, who was me, had been the interim for about three months and was up for a vote to see if it might be God's will that we would become lead pastors. Now, I'm not sure anybody wanted me to be the pastor really, and I'm not sure I wanted to be the pastor really. But we prayerfully considered it, and I preached on Sunday morning, and Sunday night we had a vote, and I had a thank you speech in one pocket, and a thanks anyway speech in the other, because I didn't know how it would go. And so I just want to publicly say thank you. Some of you have been here with us from the start. Some of you are new. We love you too. But those of us, those of you that were here, want to say thank you for taking a chance on a 30-year-old youth pastor five years ago, and um, it's really been the best five years of our lives not just because of you, Our, we had some babies and stuff too, but you guys are a big part of it, and so thank you so much. Um, five years at Bluff versus Lead Pastors, we're hoping for an, at least another 25, if that's cool with y'all. Um, not 26, it's 25, all right? Um, I'm not sure how, uh, teenagers today, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not hip with the youth and such, uh, but I'm not sure how teenagers today display or measure friendship in 2021. I know that when they leave for youth camp, There are uh, many tears shed. There is great gnashing of teeth when they leave their phones behind, and all of their Snapchat streaks are broken. I know that's devastating. Some of you parents had to keep the streak alive for your kiddo while they were at camp, and and I appreciate you filling in uh, in that way. When I was a kid, you already know when that was. I've already dated myself, so I was a kid in the 90s. There was no such thing as a Snapchat uh, streak. We signed each other's yearbooks and then didn't see each other all summer, most of our friends. But the girls had friendship jewelry. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever made friendship bracelets, BFF bracelets? A few of you guys know what I'm talking about. I found one online, actually dozens of versions of this one. And it's a Christian friendship bla- br- bracelet, <laughs> bracelet. And it says, the Lord watched between me and thee while we are absent from one another. What a beautiful little verse. God, watch over the other person while we are apart. Now, um, if you study the Bible at all, you might know where that verse comes from. And this is an O.P. moment, okay? This is a, a whoops, because this is not a friendship Bible verse. This is a conversation taking place between a guy named Jacob and a guy named Laban. And if you don't know their story, they do pretty much nothing but give each other grief. Laban is always lying and cheating Jacob, and Jacob doesn't do everything right either. They're fighting each other all the time, and they get to a point where they agree to go separate ways, and this verse basically says, I don't trust you, but I don't have eyes in the back of my head. I can't watch you 24-7, so may the Lord watch over you when we're not together because I don't trust you. Some of y'all have a friend you want to give that necklace to, all right? <laughs> Similarly, sometimes, we take Bible verses or entire books of the Bible and we take what they say at face value, and we don't do any homework at all, and we arrive at wrong conclusions. Now, we don't do this with any other book, right? Nobody flips open a cookbook and just picks one ingredient and says, yep, see, we need butter, right? No one does that. Um, People study and read books in their entirety, but with the Bible, for whatever reason, we like to cherry-pick Verses. Similar, some of you guys um, are reality TV people. None of you will admit it, but some of you are really into reality TV. And you've seen certain scenes where you can tell, like, that's not really what happened. That's not really what the conversation went like. Like, why is his soda full and then empty and then full? Like, they, they have patched this together to create drama. Or maybe an interview on the news, you can see where the cuts are, and you're like, they're just trying to to make this say something it doesn't say. Well, that's happened a lot to the verses that we're gonna look at today. We've been looking for the last few weeks at this um, word that's become a cuss word in our culture, and it's the word submission, okay? And so this morning, if we were gonna give away a out of context Bible verse necklace, um, I would give one half to the people that would take the verses we'll look at today, and they would use them to marginalize, to silence, and to abuse women. I would take the other half of that necklace and I would give it to the people who would look at verses like the ones we're going to look at today and say, see, the Bible's outdated, out of touch, it's oppressive, we can't trust the Bible, we can't trust God because of verses like that. We're not going to wear that necklace, okay? We are going to look at the scriptures in context. God's word is true, it is timely, it is challenging, and it is liberating, and it speaks to us right where we are. Now, I don't usually give this big of a preface, but I feel like I need to as we talk about today's sermon is about how to submit to your spouse, how to submit to your spouse. And I expect that to stir up some feelings. If you're here this morning and you're single and you don't want to be single or you're here this morning and you're divorced or you're widowed, this might be a sermon as we talk about husbands and wives that just makes you feel alone alone. That is not my intent, okay? We're not trying to magnify that pain or whatever, but the truth is we cannot avoid, and this is one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible. I would have never picked this text for this weekend. Hey, happy five years. Let's preach on submission. This is great. I would never have done that. But as we preach through books of the Bible, we deal with the tough stuff. And so we're not going to avoid passages about uh, spouses or kids, because some people don't have any, any more than we would avoid passages about money or patience, because some people don't have any, right? And so we're going to look at what God's word has to say. And it might make you feel alone. That's not my intent. It might bring up feelings of pain if these verses have been misused on you or your mother or whatever. It might bring up fear as you think about the future. Or maybe you're a man this morning, and it's going to bring up feelings of guilt because you have been taught, and you believed, and you acted on wrong belief towards your wife. And so let me say before we even read this that our God is a healer that he takes broken things and puts them back together, that he fixes things, that he forgives, that he restores, and that he helps, not hurts. If God's word slices you, if it pierces you, it's not to hurt you, it's to kill sin. And he has an ability to do that with a surgical precision if you'll have an open heart to it. And so this morning, by the grace of God, may we leave better and have better homes and better marriages and leave a better inheritance to our kids than what we receive from our families. Even if we receive something great, let's leave it better than we found it. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in chapter 3, you guys. We made it. We've been here months. Okay, um, We're going to cover seven verses today, a pretty big chunk. The first word of chapter 3 says likewise. And what does that mean? It means in light of all the other stuff we've been talking about. So chapter 2 talks about how we, as Christ followers, submit like Christ to every human institution, be it the government, even when it's corrupt, be it a crooked boss, be it whatever it might be, we're going to humbly In a Christ-like way, submit, not submit to sin, not submit to abandoning your faith, not submit to something that's wrong, but whenever possible, we're going to submit and live harmoniously. Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Some verses, some translations say, submit to your husbands. Everybody gets tense, right? And he gives a why. He says, so that even if, even if some don't obey the word, even if some of your spouses are unbelievers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This backs up what we heard in chapter two, right? That the way that you live, people are, watch how you live because people watch how you live, right? People are paying attention to your life. And he says, they might be won over by your conduct when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Verse three, do not let your adorning be external your beauty your decoration don't let it just be external with the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious and if you hear anything that you're like well hold up we'll get to it okay don't don't bail on me For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What's that about? And you are her children. If you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We're going to have to deal with that. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be Do we have any people here this morning that were in the military and served in any type of thing, anything like that? I never served in the military. I've never been at war. But I could imagine if I was a soldier and I was about to walk into a minefield, I would pray. And so let's pray this morning. God, help us with your word. Help us to have open hearts. Help us to not be offended by the truth, even if it's countercultural, counterintuitive. But let us in all humility seek to be like your son, Jesus let us walk out of here more like him and with our homes better positioned to reflect your love for us in Jesus name amen every human is imperfect amen i know your facebook post on your anniversary says otherwise right but every human being is imperfect there is no perfect spouse there is no perfect man no perfect woman except for jesus right there's nobody perfect that means there is no perfect marriage it might look like it's perfect on instagram i promise you there are 35 other photos that didn't turn out like that one right no marriage is perfect no home is perfect and so we find in these verses encouragement in imperfect relationships, to be great spouses, even in the case of a situation where within a marriage, we are what we used to say, we used to use the term unequally yoked, a believer and a non believer. Now, I feel like I need to say this that is no way to start a marriage. Okay. In youth group, we used to call that missionary dating. Uh, girls, you don't find a boy who needs Jesus and date him so that he might need, need Jesus, you know? You could be his friend. And if he comes to follow Christ, then you can, you know, explore that. But you shouldn't just, you know, hitch the wagon to somebody going a different direction in your life. And so I would say, Hey, don't be, if you're, if you're dating or you're engaged or you're whatever, you may want to evaluate that. If one of you is a believer and one of you is not a believer, it almost never goes well. And some of you are like, my mom married my dad, and you know, I, I, I know it can go well, but let's not make it, let's not stack the deck against ourselves, okay? However, sometimes you're married and it happens. One person is, maybe both people get married, neither is a believer. Then one of them is saved, right? Or maybe two people are married, and they're both believers, and at some point one of them walks away from their faith what do we do in these types of situations? Do we jump ship? Do we just grow apart? Do we find somebody else? Peter says, no, that you be the best spouse you can be, knowing that like all these other examples in chapter two and three, that your works could win your spouse over to the Lord. Now, some of you notice that Peter only addresses the Christian wife with the non-Christian husband. It doesn't talk about a Christian husband with a non-Christian wife. Why is that? Well, we need a little bit of context. We need to do our work here, okay? Keep in mind that a first century Greco-Roman culture, uh, the women had zero rights. Everybody say zero. 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 I mean literally zero. Either a woman was under her father's rule and power, and I'm talking ultimate power. Do you understand? In the first century, if a daughter did something so heinous that a father thought it deserved capital punishment killing his daughter, the state would not interfere. They would not have anything to say. That was up to the father's rule. You talk about power, right? So either that is the scenario, or like a piece of property, a woman is then given to her husband and now she's under his authority. Women had zero rights in the first century, and that is not right, it's not good, but it's historical fact. You can, you can read your history books. Okay, So With that being the case, it is very unusual in the first century for a man to convert to faith and his wife not to follow. The book of Acts is filled with people, stories where a man gets saved and baptized, and then his whole household comes to faith, right? But if she converts to following Jesus, and he hasn't, this brings tension into a home, and it still does, if we're honest. And so that's the more likely difficult scenario. And so Peter speaks to women, just like last time. He didn't speak to bosses. He spoke to employees. This time he speaks not to men that are in ultimate power in the first century. He speaks to women that are marginalized in the first century in a difficult situation. But it applies to all of us. So this morning, we're going to look at three principles that can transform your marriage and and maybe even your other relationships. Look back with me again at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some... So, so notice, this is not only to women who have unbelieving husbands. This is advice in general, even to those who have unbelieving husbands. If some don't obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The first point today is something you've heard before. It's not original. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. I like actually like the way the uh, King James Version words this verse. It says that without a word, the husband might be won by conversation. How do you have a conversation without words well it's because actions speak right the way that you conduct yourself speaks peter would say if you're in that scenario don't abandon them stick with them prefer them serve them no don't submit to sin no don't submit to abandoning your faith no don't say yes let's 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 get high and rob a bank like that's not the type of submission that we're talking about right don't be and don't be a pushover don't be voiceless in fact he uses sarah as an example who's a pretty tough pretty tough cookie okay he says instead submit in a godly way submit in a christ-like way i think of romans chapter 12 verse 18 that says if possible as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all this is the type of submission that peter is talking about Galatians chapter 3 makes it clear that in Christ, there is no power struggle. There is no hierarchy anymore. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. When it comes to our value in Christ, we are all equal heirs of Christ if we are in his kingdom. So, submission is not about inferiority. It's about functionality. It's about harmony. It's about how do we make this work? And Peter would say, for it to work, if you wind up in a scenario where one of you is a believer and one of you is not, of course, the believer takes the high road. The believer has the greater obligation to live like Jesus. You don't expect the unbeliever to live like Jesus. Serve your spouse, submit to them doesn't mean you never speak up. doesn't mean you never share the gospel. It does mean that when they've heard it all, it will not be your nagging that wins them over. It will be your living that works best. And that's true for anybody we're trying to reach, right? Yeah, use words, but use your actions even more so. An unbeliever already is skeptical, already is annoyed, already feels threatened. Win them over with conduct. Again, this is not girlfriend advice. I'm not telling you how to win over your boyfriend you might have to leave the boyfriend you might have to leave the girlfriend okay but if you're in a marital covenant unless there's some extreme things going on and listen there are exceptions if there's abuse or whatever you may want to get some godly counsel but if there if it's a normal human marriage with normal problems peter says serve let your actions speak louder than words look on to verse three and four Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting of gold, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Number two this morning, inner beauty is better than outer beauty. Let me make it for the fellas, guys. Inner muscles are better than outer muscles, okay? If you don't want to be called a beauty, it is more important that you develop what is inside of you than what is outside of you. Now, I want to again, this gets this gets taken out of context and abused. Verse three is not a ban on style or fashion. And and if it were, let's take a look at it. It says, don't let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So if this was a ban, that would mean women no braiding your hair. Okay. No putting on of gold jewelry. Okay. No clothing. Got all the guys' attention this morning. That's not what Peter's saying, right? Beauty, God created beauty. Fashion is fine. It's been a part of every culture. There's nothing inherently wrong with trying to look nice. You know, in the country, they say, if the barn needs painting, paint it, right? Beauty is good, but don't let it be God, okay? It's not a primary thing. It's not the main thing. Proverbs 31, you're familiar maybe, says charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That inner beauty is more important. The outside can trick us. The outside can fool us. Man, sometimes you go to like talk to somebody, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, no, like, yeah, you do. Hold on, I'm pull them up. And you gotta scroll like 17 pictures to find a photo that looks like them. Hold on, that's not that's not them, that's not them, that's not them. Filter, 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 right? There they are. That's what they right? Outer, outer stuff, that it's it's fickle. Culture promises beauty, promises shortcuts to beauty, six-pack abs in six hours. You know? It's not happening, right? Look at the magazine rack, everything on there. Your best, you know, how how to look younger, how to look younger, how to look younger. And then they kick the supermodels to the curb for the younger supermodels. The culture has nothing to say about actual beauty. The scriptures have everything to say about inner beauty that, hear me, should only get better with wrinkles. Your spouse should be getting more and more and more beautiful with time and with age. Ladies, you don't need a facelift, if you will allow me a dad joke. You don't need a facelift. You need a facelift, okay? Which sounds like I have a little bit of a lisp, doesn't it? You need a spiritual, forgive me, you need a spiritual, after five years, it's like, I'm just going to say what I want to say, you know? Y'all already agreed to 25 more, so... You need a, not, not 26, that's right. You need a spiritual, listen, we need a, guys and gals, we need a spiritual makeover, a spiritual workout plan. Let me give you a challenge, okay? And listen, this might be unfair, maybe easier for the guys and the girls. It is what it is. Here's my challenge to you. Someday this week, when you wake up, start a stopwatch on your phone. And then get ready. Shower, brush your teeth, whatever you gotta do, Right? When you're done getting ready and you're ready to leave the house or you're ready to go about your day, push stop and see how much time that took. So for some of you fellows, it's gonna be 6.3 minutes, right? Some of you ladies, it might be a little longer. Some of the guys too. I want you to then see, okay, it took me 45 minutes. Later on that day, instead of a stopwatch, start a timer for the exact same amount of time. Might have to be after the kids are in bed. I don't know when it will be, Spend the same amount of time on your soul, on your inner person, on your heart, on, on, your, on your spirit, listening to a podcast, listening to a sermon, listening to worship music, reading your Bible. Focus on your character, not just your cosmetics. Focus on gentleness, not just jewelry. Focus on maturity, not just Maybelline. Okay, I'll stop. Here we go. Peter goes on and he describes a gentle and quiet spirit. And I want to say this, that is not a personality type. This verse has been put on women to make them believe they have to be Minnie Mouse. You know, they have to be this little squeaky, like that, that's not what you have to be. A gentle spirit is meekness and meekness is best perceived in the person of Jesus Christ who was not weak. He was all powerful, but he was under control not under anybody else's control, self-control, submitted to his father. That's what a gentle spirit looks like. A quiet spirit, again, that's not a personality. You can have a loud personality. You can have a, a boisterous personality. You don't have to be a whispering little housewife, okay? Ladies, amen? Okay. Rather, have a quiet spirit. What does that look like? How many of you guys know either spouse can change the spirit of your house, Right? Either spouse can change the tone of your home. Either spouse can change the whole atmosphere. Everybody can be at ease or everybody can be on edge. Peter says, especially if your spouse is an unbeliever, have a gentle spirit. Have a quiet spirit. You can have a loud home, a loud family, a loud dinner table, but have a quiet spirit. Take ownership of your spirit, of your attitude. Set the tone for your home. That only comes by doing what we already talked about, cultivating that inner person. Because listen, you have every reason to be stressed. You have every excuse to be on edge. You're the busiest person you know. (laughs) Take control of your home, of your attitude, of the tone of your house. And then he says, that kind of beauty, that's imperishable. That doesn't wash off, right? You don't need special wipes to remove at nighttime. You know, you get the mascara wipes out. It's like, it's a lot of work, isn't it, Lee? Like, I see you guys struggling. I don't understand how it's so hard to take mascara off, and then like anywhere else, you cry once, and it's, it's, it's gone. <laughs> like, you should just cry more at nighttime, Right? But, but Peter says, inner beauty is imperishable. It's not, and listen, it's not just attractive to your spouse. It's not just attractive to the outside world, to the people outside of faith. In God's sight, it is precious. Live like God's watching your marriage, your attitude, your home. Verse five, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you, don't, if you do good and don't fear. Peter says, listen, you don't have to look to the culture. You don't have to look to uh, Cleopatra or somebody. You don't have to look to anybody else for how to be a woman. Look to the scriptures. Look to Jesus. Look to women like Sarah. Now, notice that is a lowercase l when she called him Lord, okay? It is a term of honor. She respected him. Husbands, I do not recommend adopting that nickname, Okay? But Sarah was with Abram. She respected him. She spoke up at times. She went toe-to-toe with him at times, but she was with him. She submitted to him. This is the picture of, of godly submission, and this is where we, it leads us to is number three, and this is the big one. This is the one that people do not understand. This is the one that gets misused, and if you disagree, I would love to sit down this week or next week with a Bible and show you this to be true, because a lot of people have been told that submission is for women, But the truth of the Bible is that submission is mutual. Submission is mutual. Submission is mutual. If verse one said likewise, and meant everything that was said in chapter two about submitting applies to wives, then verse seven saying likewise means that everything in chapter two and everything so far in chapter one applies to men. Now, in that culture, they had all the power anyway. But Peter says, listen, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. I shouldn't get a bigger amen than this one. Husbands and wives are not exactly the same. Right? We are not exactly the same. And so the submission in the relationship doesn't, look exactly the same. I'll tell you, I submit to my wife and my wife submits to me and there are times where we don't agree and there are times where I take the lead on certain things, but I am not the boss and she's my employee, okay? I am not the king and she's the peasant. Some of you need to think about it this way. Um, Mutual submission does not mean nobody's the husband. It does not mean nobody's the wife. It means this, there are two cars headed in opposite directions. I mean, sometimes in marriage you just see things different, you're just headed in opposite directions. They're approaching a bridge. It's a one-lane bridge. Okay? Now, what a lot of preachers will tell you is that the wife has the wife has a stop sign on her side of the bridge and the husband has a green light. The Bible teaches that both people have the same sign on the road and they both say, yield. And so there's a pause and there's communication and there's eye contact and there's a decision made, you go first, no you. And that's how vacation works, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's, That's how marriage works. You prefer the other person, they prefer you, eventually you compromise. Instead of having a head-on collision, in harmony, you make a decision, and sometimes you both decide to go the same way, and sometimes someone goes first. So for those of you that would think, oh, the Bible's so oppressive to women, I want you to remember the power that a first-century man had, and I want you to hear Peter say, men likewise. Do you know how scandalous it is to tell a first century man who can execute his wife or his daughter if he so chooses to submit to women? That's the Bible that I read. That's the Jesus I serve. He doesn't push women down. He elevates women up. They are equals with us in Christ. And I want you to think about the picture that we're given. Men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Women, follow your husbands. Let me ask you something. (laughs) Who has the tougher job in that picture? The church going, thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for me. I try to trust you, obey you, follow you, right? Or I'll lay down my life. I'll deny myself. I'll die for you. So, so, So don't come at me talking about my wife doesn't submit unless... You're saying, I love her like Christ loved the church. I lay down my life for her. I deny myself. I put my needs second. I put my buddies second. I put my hobbies second. I I, I put everything second. It's Jesus first and then my wife and then my kids. Minefield. I have a sneaky suspicion a godly woman I don't know what to tell you about a woman who doesn't know Jesus she might do all kinds of things but a godly woman will have no problem yielding being in a mutually submissive relationship to a guy who reminds her of Jesus that's what she wants. She wants you to lead. She wants you to love God. She wants you to read your Bible. She wants you to pray for the kids. She wants you to not say, oh, do we have to go to church? She wants you to get up and help get the kids ready and get in the car and turn on some Christian music and drive to church and maybe, you know, put the argument aside that you had in the car on the way there and and deal with it and worship and sing and raise your hands and listen and take notes and be a man. At least the ladies could say amen for me. Peter says, live in an understanding way, in a knowing way. Men, you are to deeply, well, men and women, you are to deeply understand your spouse, their needs, their communication. You are to be a student of your spouse. Now, some of the fellas, your wife is a little bit like trigonometry, right? You ain't figured her out yet. You're like, the preacher wants me to understand my wife. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) What is this? But, but that word, actually, that word understanding is the word know. And it's the same kind of word that's used when Adam knew Eve. It's a very intimate word. And Peter says, know your wife and be gentle with her. Be, be considerate. Be understanding. You don't marry to fulfill your ideas of what uh, a marriage bed should look like. And you don't marry to, to, to duplicate your parents' marriage. You study her, know her, communicate with her, yield to her. She's not one of your bros, okay? She might be your best friend, but you gotta treat her different than some of your other best friends. Gary Smalley, marriage expert, hundred, hundreds and hundreds of surveys of women, wives, daughters about men, husbands, dads. The number one request listen to this it wasn't that men would make more money, it wasn't even that, that men would. Would, would be funnier or would be whatever, or would be more physically attractive or fit. The number one request of, of women, wives and daughters, of men, was that they would be more gentle and more comforting and less lecturing and less criticizing. We're built different. It's not every single person. I know there's soft, tender guys and there's tough ladies. I know that, but in general, your wife thinks and processes differently than you do, so be gentle. Show her honor, show her respect, show her value in the way that she wants to receive honor. You don't honor somebody in a way that embarrasses them, a way they don't like. You honor them in a way they receive honor. Now, I know some eyebrows got raised at that term weaker vessel. I would also like to mention, husbands, I do not suggest picking up this term, okay? I'm home, weaker vessel welcome home, Lord. That's not going to go well, right? It's not going to go well. Ladies, give me some amens here. Weaker does not mean weaker in intellect. Weaker does not mean weaker in emotional intelligence. Weaker does not mean weaker in ability to get things done. Weaker does not mean weaker in spirituality. Here's what it means. This is one of the times we can take the Bible at face value. And I know there might be exceptions in the room. Don't embarrass your husband if if he's the exception. But here's what the verse means it means this, quite simply if you and your husband were to get into a fist fight, he would probably win. That's what it means. That's what it means. It literally means weaker vessel. That's it. Like you're tougher, men. You're bigger stronger whatever many wives are smarter many wives are more emotionally mature than their husbands many women most women are stronger spiritually a woman is 39 percent more likely to have a devotional life study the bible a woman is 33 percent more likely to volunteer and serve at church a woman is 29 percent more likely to share her faith and evangelize women outpace men in the church a lot so listen she's not less than you She's just not you, okay? She, she's a woman, so treat her with care. She's not Tupperware. She's fine china. So you're delicate, okay? You're, you, you, you give her strength when she needs it, but you give her gentleness when she needs it. And verse seven ends our message with these motivators. Since, how do we do all this? We do this because these women, these, these wives, are heirs with you, of the grace of life. Do that, do this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Remember, your wife is your equal and your co-heir and your partner in the gospel and your partner in grace. Don't forget it, lest your, and that word your is plural, your prayers be hindered. And we don't use the word hinder every day. Some of you know the band, which is unfortunate. But that word hinder used there, it means to cut in or interrupt. And it's not a dancing term like may I cut in, it's a military term. And it's a term that would be used, you would hinder a road, you would blow up a road to stop your enemy from advancing and to scatter them and distract them and so that you could attack. Listen, there's a real enemy, it's not your spouse, it's Satan himself and he wants to destroy your relationship, your communication with God. And one of the easiest ways to get you off track is to mess with your home life. And and I would say the flip side, one of the easiest ways to mess with your home life is to get your spiritual life off track. So as Pastor Nathan joins me this morning, I want to challenge you guys. Men, listen, just because she's the talker, she's the social one, she's the worshiper, she reads her Bible, she's been at church longer, she's been saved longer, that does not excuse you from a godly calling and responsibility to love her and lead her like Jesus loved his church. And so if you're behind and you're playing catch up, it's okay, catch up. Start now. Lead by example, grow into it, submit to King Jesus, and the rest of this stuff will sort itself out. If you're not being a good husband, you're not being a good follower of Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, you may be a decent husband, you're not being the husband you could be, because there are certain areas that call for more grace than you are capable of giving, apart from Jesus Christ. And ladies, not to let you off the hook, but if you're not a good wife, you're not a good follower of Jesus. Listen, sometimes ladies... Can compartmentalize pretty well and spend two hours with Jesus but then the moment the husband gets home there's no yield signs it's a head on collision that, that's not what Peter calls us to you need grace you need prayer you need God's help but I want to invite you to something different I want to invite you to a better marriage I want to invite you to a better life I want to invite you to a better home and a better example for your children or for your friends and if you're single, man, just seek Jesus. And if there's a spouse that comes along, you'll know what kind of spouse to look for. You'll be the kind of spouse to look for. And if not, all the more available you are for service to King Jesus. You're gonna be blessed for that. But, but listen, I wanna do something this morning. Stand with me. I'm gonna invite every couple in the room Grab your partner's hand, and I want you to find the. in a moment. I want you to find a different place. I don't care if it's two rows from where you're at. I just want you to move somehow and find a different place to pray together. And you can be mad at me if you want. You can fight me. I might be the weaker vessel, okay? But I'm going to challenge you this morning. Even if it's the first time in your life, and it's embarrassing, and it's awkward, I'm going to challenge every man in this room to pray with your wife and to pray first. Don't let her pray and you say amen. I want to challenge you to pray with your wife. And listen, it might start with an apology. It might start with, honey, I know this is awkward. I'm sorry. I've never done this. God help us. Whatever it looks like. You could be mad at me, but I'm going to challenge you to pray with your wife. You're not, you're not her boss. You're not her authority. You're not You were to love her like Christ loved the church. Matthew Henry, I'm done, I promise. Matthew Henry said this, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I love that when God made Eve from Adam, woman from man, he did not make her from Adam's head that she would be over him. He did not make her from his feet that she would be under him, but he made her from a rib. He made her from his side that she would be near him. He made her from underneath his arm that she would be protected by him. He made her from near his heart that he would love her all the days of his life. This is the calling God gives us. And so I want you to grab your spouse by the hand. If you're single, you can pray alone. You can pray with a friend. You can pray however you want to. We don't talk about marriage every week, but today we talk about it because we walk through the scriptures together. I want you to grab your spouse by the hand. You can come to the altar and pray. You can go to the back and pray. You can find a different road to standing and pray. Men, pray with your wives. That's my challenge to you this morning. God, would you meet us here in this place? Would you transform us from the inside out? Would you let healing begin to happen, God, for offenses and hurts? Would you let truth shine through for people who have had the wrong idea about what biblical submission looks like? Would you help us to submit first and foremost, God, to you and then submit to the people we love around us? Meet us in this place, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.